Welcome to Spirits Podcast, a boozy dive into mythology, legends, and folklore. Every week we pour a drink and learn about a new story from around the world. I'm Amanda. And I'm Julia. And this is episode 113, Mythological Cross-Dressing with Andrea Lamb, returning guest. It's so nice to have Andrea back. Yeah, this is super fun. I feel like it really builds on our first episode with her, Gender Fuck the Gods, and... It is great. I had so much fun recording this. I cannot wait for you to hear it. Yeah, this is an absolute blast of an episode. And we touch upon a bunch of topics that I think people are going to be really excited about. And some of those folks who recently supported us on Patreon are lucky enough to have their shout out in this dope episode. Alicia, Shelby, Erin, Callahan, Andrea, Victoria, Dylan, Katie, Talia, and Kaylee. Welcome. Yeah, welcome. Thank you for coming. This is going to be a lot of fun. There's a lot of you and we're excited for you to be here. We're also excited to welcome back our supporting producer-level patrons. Philip, Julie, Eeyore, Kathy, Vinny, Danica, Marissa, Sammy, Josie, Amara, Neil, Jessica, Phil Fresh, and Deborah. And our legend-level patrons, all of whom can pull off whatever style of clothing they choose, regardless of gender. It's a social construct. Jordan, Jess, Sarah, Zoe, Sandra, Audra, Mercedes, Jack Marie, and Leanne. We love you all. Y'all look great in that outfit. Oh, and Julia, tell us about the cocktail we drank for this episode, which was suggested by Andrea. Yeah, uh, the drink that we had is called the Marlene Dietrich. It was actually suggested by Andrea. And Marlene Dietrich is a early movie star who traditionally had a very masculine wardrobe. Yeah, it was awesome. She looks great in a tuxedo. Man, you should Google those images. I wish I looked that good in a tuxedo. Me too. And uh, Jules, do you have a recommendation for us this week? I do. Um, I'm going to recommend another audio drama because, you know, that's my jam. I'm going to recommend The Crypto Naturalist. Very up our alley. It is very up our alley. It is a podcast about a man who tells us about different interesting cryptozoology specimens and whatnot. It is very well written. It is very like prose inspired. Uh, They do basically a poetry corner every time. I may or may not have guessed on an episode. Uh, And other guests include Justin McElroy and Adel Rafai, who was on one of our guest episodes as well. That sounds awesome. And I will always listen to a pod that you're on, girl. Oh, thank you. We are so looking forward to PodCon this coming weekend. If you are going to be there or if you live in Seattle, remember to go to multitude.productions slash live to get the lowdown on where we're going to be and how to get tickets to our upcoming shows in Portland in February. Um, But while you're there, I definitely encourage everybody to sign up for the Multitude newsletter. That is where you will get the first announcement of any additional live shows, any new merch, any exciting like crossovers and interviews and guest appearances we make on other pods. It is your home for all things multitude so that's multitude.productions and amanda does an amazing job curating that newsletter so it is a delight to see it in my inbox every once in a while thanks it's also very purple it is super purple i love it so without further ado enjoy episode 113 mythological cross-dressing with andrea lamb We're so happy to have Andrea Lamb back with us after a rollicking success with our Gender Fuck the Gods episode. Maybe the best title of any episode so far. Pretty damn good. It's very good. Thank you very much. And today we're going to be covering something uh, related but different, cross-dressing in mythology. Yeah, uh, again, another of my favorite subjects. There are a lot, a surprising amount of stories of men dressing up as women and women dressing up as men. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not quite drag as we know it now but costuming Mm -hmm. Um, and this is generally something that's separate from sexual orientation or identity uh, as we will see. Yeah, so you can be straight, you can be cis, and 
cross-dress, put on drag, you know, present yourself differently um, for a time, for a purpose. I'm just thinking now of all the like trickster gods and the mm-hmm. Shakespeare, you know, cross-dressing and, mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, or you can be gay and do those things. Like there's there's all kinds of combinations possible. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, I think, a very cool kind of subset of, um, or not subset, but like roundup throughout mythology that I'm excited to learn more about. Yeah. Right, yeah. And it's very much along the lines of gender being performative. Mm-hmm. Yep. And today, gender is very performative in mythology. Hell yeah. yeah. So we'll start with an episode from the youth of Achilles, the ancient Greek hero Achilles, who I'm sure most of you are already familiar with. I'm already excited because I know what story you're going to tell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but just in case you're not, Achilles is perhaps best known for his major part in the Trojan War. Achilles is a demigod, uh, the son of the scene of Thetis. When Achilles was young, uh, Thetis heard a prophecy saying that Achilles would die in the war mm. on Troy. Thetis did a lot of things to try and prevent this. Mm. One variation, I mean, this is how we get uh, Achilles' heel. Right. He was dipped in something, I yes. remember. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's one of the variations is that Thetis took Achilles, baby Achilles, mm. tiny baby wriggly Achilles, <laughs> took him by his heel and dipped him into the water of, I believe, Styx yep. in the underworld. For as, immortality or some yes. such. Yeah. As a goddess, she could do this. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, uh, he wasn't entirely immortal because of how she held him by the heel. Yep. Submerge. You gotta submerge the baby, leave it there for a second, then pick it back up. Just put him in a colander and dip the whole thing in. There we go. <laughs> See, that would have made more sense. Shake, and then you're ready to go. <laughs> a gentle, just agitate the colander briefly. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, now I'm thinking of a baby Achilles in a giant salad spinner. Me too! Because as a demigod, he could handle image. it. Yeah. Go. I was thinking of him as just a head of lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brad Pitt in that terrible Troy film was a oh, little better than head of lettuce, honestly. Yeah. We'll come back to that. Shots fired! <laughs> Straight anyway. to the heel. Anyway, that's uh, Achilles' very quick backstory. Mm-hmm. The Greek war in Troy is about to begin, and the Greeks are mustering their forces. Achilles at this time has been secreted away in Thessaly, under the care of the centaur Chiron, as distinct from Charon, who is the Greek uh, ferryman to the mm-hmm. land of the dead. Oh, yeah. So Two coins. Uh, there and back. Yeah. That's yes. all I remember about that. <laughs> <laughs> So Achilles has been under the tutelage of Chiron, um, away from the war. Thetis uh, goes to fetch him, uh, to hide him away, to make sure that her dear baby boy won't be killed in battle. Thetis, the ultimate helicopter mom. Basically, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, checks out. And so uh, Thetis retrieves Achilles and puts him on a ship. When he's asleep, she takes a little bit of a detour from Thessaly and goes to the island of Skiros where King Lycomedes holds court. And mind you, he, Achilles is asleep during this time. And when he wakes up, he's on a whole new island. He's on Skiros. Mm-hmm. And what the fuck, mum? Yeah. You Thetis. said we were going to Disney for burgers. <laughs> Thetis has come up with a plan. And she tells Achilles, this poor Achilles probably still has sleep in his eyes, you know, probably hung over as well. They had a bit of a party the night they left Thessaly. Always. That's a good way to make sure that your son sleeps through the journey that you are unwillingly going to take him on. (laughs) I mean, they're Greeks. There's a theme, unfortunately. Mm. (laughs) Bad things happen when you fall asleep. Don't do it. Don't. Sounds very sustainable. Never sleep. Always watch. Mad-Eye Moody had it right. (laughs) (laughs) Correct. So Achilles wakes up in Skiros and Thetis tells him her 
magnificent plan, which is she wants Achilles to disguise himself as a girl, as a young woman, and hide among the daughters of King Lycanby's court. And that way, the Greeks will never find him and he will stay alive and safe forever. Achilles is not super happy with this plan, mostly because he probably has a raging headache from all that wine <laughs> and initially refuses, really digs his heels in. Kind of a bad son, also <laughs> kind of understandable, but also his mother's trying to save his life, honestly. I yeah. do have to appreciate your dig his heels in. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Serious business here, lads. <laughs> sure, sure. But yeah, no, I, I see it. She's trying to do what's best and he is saying, hey, if I'm going to hang out with a bunch of ladies, it's not going to be dressed as a lady. Right, right. But the thing that uh, changes Achilles' mind is uh, when he attends a festival at Lacomodes' court, uh, in which Lacomodes' multiple beautiful daughters uh, perform a dance in honor, I believe, of Pallas Athena. And uh, during the festivities, he spies Didamia, Lacomodes' most beautiful daughter, mm. of course. It's always the most beautiful. Always. <laughs> and uh, he decides, ah. I like that one. Mm. And so he says, yes, okay. Dress me up as a woman. Put me among the women so he can hang out with Daedamia. Achilles, disaster by. Kind of, yeah. 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 This, this, this is a really strong recurring theme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Clothes a little disheveled. Heel hanging out. Mm -hmm. Makes sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, Thetis dresses Achilles up as a young woman. And this is uh, not described in detail in the myth and by the way uh the most complete uh, version of this story we have from uh who is someone who is actually a roman poet statius hmm. uh not this episode does not occur in the iliad or the odyssey mm -hmm. this is something that has existed sort of in nebulous form and is you know very a po very popular story but the most extant the most solid text we have has was written afterwards and the poem is actually incomplete. Mm. Um, it's called The Achilleid and is meant to be the story of Achilles' life from start to finish. Nice. Incomplete, fragmented poem, disaster by. It's absolutely right. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Just killing it. Achilles sees Daedamia, uh, falls in, well, we'll say lust, and agrees to Thetis' magnificent plan. Uh, she dresses up Achilles as a woman and uh, apparently teaches him how to behave as a woman. Uh, again, this is sort of nebulous, but we can imagine from context and from what we know of other cross-dressing stories in mythology, a lot of it is just uh, gendered behavior. Yeah, like gesture, posture, stuff Exactly, like that. voice, things mm -hmm. like that. And what you're allowed to be interested in and what you're not allowed to mm -hmm. be. Right. Which becomes important later. Yeah. <laughs> Foreshadowing. God damn it, I can't when there's two of you getting up on me. It's like, oh, well, <laughs> I want to know the story. And so once Thetis does this, uh, she brings Achilles, again, dressed as a woman, to Lycomedes' court and introduces him as her daughter. Lycomedes agrees to take Achilles under his protection and, you know, he is boarded up. He is sent to live with the women as mm. a woman. Meanwhile... The Greeks are mustering their troops, the their sailors and the soldiers, the forces at Aulis. But everyone looks around and notices that Achilles is not here. Where is Achilles? Mm. We we thought he was in Thessaly with that centaur guy, but apparently not. Where is he? Mm. Uh, so the Greeks uh, round up the seer Colchis. Colchis has a vision. Snitches get stitches. Come on, Colchis. Come on. 
Colchis has a vision and everyone finds out that, oh wait, Achilles is on Skiros in a dress. The heroes Odysseus, we know Odysseus, mm. and Diomedes travel to Skiros to find him. Meanwhile, meanwhile, <laughs> son of meanwhile, mm -hmm. Deidamia has figured out that Achilles is Achilles and not just a pretty lady and uh, keeps a secret. Decides to help him Plot twist. Uh, yes, yeah. maintain this secret identity. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Achilles does not return the favor necessarily. Didamia has done him a solid, right? Mm. Yeah. Achilles proceeds to rape Didamia uh, in a sacred wood. Okay, rape really bad, sacred wood also bad. Yeah. Double bad in yeah. this situation. Yeah, like, bad to do, bad. but uh -huh. a bad place to do it yeah. also. Right. And, you know, this is where I would love to read some sort of transformative retelling of this story from yeah. maybe Didamia's perspective. Because from Statius, we have the fact mm -hmm. that after Achilles rapes her, she forgives him and continues to keep his secret. Oh, boy. Becomes pregnant by him and bears his son. Pyrex. Yep. Hmm. Um, actually, Madeline Miller does a really interesting perspective of this uh, in The Song of Achilles, and I would highly recommend everyone check it out because yes, it, it includes this story for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and it's like a really interesting thing where he like marries her and stuff like that, and it's not it's not a rape as far as I remember from the story, so it's, it's a little bit better. Madeline mm -hmm. Miller is very good at that kind of thing, so I would recommend everyone check it out. But yeah, excellent. a story mm -hmm. as old as that, you know, with so many retellings and such a place in popular imagination, I totally see how there can be like substantial differences yes. that just you oh, know, of course, arise yeah. over time. For sure. At this point, Odysseus and Diomedes have landed in Skiros and are welcomed by Lycomedes to his court. Uh, Odysseus and Diomedes have brought gifts for Lycomedes' beautiful daughters. Call everyone in to the court, uh, lay out the gifts on silks. Come check out what we got. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Uh, beautiful clothes, uh, jewels, uh, musical instruments as well. And uh, in a corner, a set of weaponry, a shield, and a helmet. You know, mm. I was gonna ask if they brought Achilles a knife, and they did. They did. Yep. Nice. He's <laughs> <laughs> a shitty knife for you, Achilles. How about it? Listen, in my household growing up, someone always got a weapon for Christmas, and it was always very exciting. <laughs> it's so on brand for your family. I know. After a couple of years, it was like it became a thing where, like, who's going to get the weapon this year? And uh, yeah, my favorite one was that uh, my brother Connor got a shillelagh, uh, a traditional Irish uh, club and walking stick. It's beautiful. Okay, so that good. sounds amazing because yeah. when I went to university, I had to buy myself the official noble collection. Uh, Letter opener replica of uh, Glamdering Gandalf sword. Well, but that is the only so-called weapon that I have, and uh, your version, your family version <laughs> of that, sounds amazing. I don't know; they both sound pretty dope. Axes, mallets, leather men. I want a shillelagh. Yeah, shillelaghs are strong choice in the best way. Mm -hmm. They're great. And so uh, Odysseus and Diomedes have set up this beautiful offering, which is actually a trap. <laughs> the the women and Achilles file in. Uh, all the women are naturally drawn to the beautiful dresses and the jewels and the musical instruments and you know probably just plucking out Wonderwall maybe in the corner or something <laughs> like that or the ancient Greek equivalent um I'm pretty sure the ancient Greek equivalent is Wonderwall <laughs> <laughs> Achilles he remembers his lessons his his woman lessons from Thetis but Achilles being Achilles is drawn to the shield to the helmet and to the weapons he is the only one who does so. Yeah. And seeing this, clever Odysseus pulls out a war horn or a trumpet or something from his behind his back, essentially, and he blows on it. And Achilles grabs the sword 
and jumps up ready for battle. Oh no! Gotcha, Achilles. Oh damn it! That's you. Uh, you know, I want to make fun of how this is very like gender essentialist, but like it's a pretty good plan. It's yeah, a pretty good plan. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's very, it's very on brand for Odysseus. I know. You give me like a like a queer performance poetry anthology. Like I'm just gonna run to it. The thing is about this. This is one of my favorite uh, images from Greek myth. Is Odysseus forcing Achilles to reveal himself, and this is and has been a very popular subject in not just. Uh, Greek art, but especially in Renaissance art as well, it's popped up throughout the centuries because it's such powerful visual. Yeah, it's so vivid. And like, there's so much going on. There's lots of people. There's like luxury goods. I can see why, <laughs> particularly for, for fine art, it would be a really good subject. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but going back to that terrible Troy film, the 2004 one with Brad Pitt as Hit Achilles. Me up with that Brad Pitt shade. The makers of that film were cowards. <laughs> Should have put him in a dress. <laughs> they had a chance to put Brad Pitt in a dress. They didn't. They chickened out. They put him in this sort of blue, not really chiton, because all the costumes were kind of mm, whatever. Awful. Yeah. So they put him in this blue thing with, I think, like a, the equivalent of a puka shell necklace. They made him look like a oh, surfer. No. Oh, my God. Yeah. Nah. You could have, like, doubled your box office returns by giving us Brad Pitt in, like, really convincing drag. We could have had it. We could have had it all rolling in the deep. You had my heart inside of your hands, and you played it. Rolling in the Aegean doesn't really scan. No, it didn't quite work. <laughs> In the version that we have from Statius, again, this later Roman poet, once Achilles reveals himself uh, to Odysseus, to Diomedes, to Lycomedes, and everyone, Lycomedes uh, legitimates uh, their relationship. Achilles knocked up his daughter in secret behind his back. They're his son. Okay. Diomedes stays on Skyros and pines for Achilles while Achilles sails off to war and death. Oh, right? Achilles. Okay. There's a few other versions uh, in... and. These are the ones that I like much better, in which Deidamia also dresses up. She takes her turn. Deidamia dresses up as a man herself yeah. and sails with the men to Troy. Yes. Fuck yeah. I like that version a lot better. So much better. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. she probably also dies, but still, she's a lot more active in that version, and you yeah. get that great reverse visual. Yep, for sure, for that's sure. That's really nice. So that's one of my favorite stories to come out of the Trojan War and Mm -hmm. Greek mythology more broadly. There is a historical episode, actually, uh, which is basically grounded in cross-dressing as well. It occurs around uh, 510 BCE in the land of Argos, and it concerns the poet, the great female poet Telesilla, who we know because through the fragments that we still have of her poetry, scholars were able to learn a lot of basically unique uh, ancient Greek words. I believe they're called hapix legomenon, and that we only wow. have through Telesilla's poetry. That's cool. So. That's wild. And I yeah. believe she is one of the, I think, seven, eight, or nine, some magical number. Uh, of canonical female ancient Greek poets. That's cool. So Telesilla, already kind of great. And her legend becomes even greater because according to Pausanias uh, in 510 BCE, um, Cleomenes of Sparta has laid siege to Argos and has slain basically all of the Argive men, uh, the soldiers of age on the battlefield. Right. And has begun his march on the city. Telesilla gathers up all of the elderly and sick men who weren't able to go off to battle and gathers up all the women. She stations all the uh, old and sickly men around the walls of the city and puts all the women in armor and gives them weapons and stations them prominently on the walls of the city. Oh, wow. Overlooking the plain. So when Cleomenes arrives 
and looks up and sees, oh god, we did not expect this. <laughs> he decides to cut his losses and flees. Wow. Our listeners cannot see it, but I am fist pumping real hard right now. I love that idea. And so there was instituted essentially a festival in celebration of Telesilla of this great feat, strategic feat of hers okay. uh, called the Hebristica, uh, which is partially celebrated by men dressing as women and women dressing as men. I it's want, awesome. I want to go to there. <laughs> I, I know. Oh, I, I love it so much. I love like the use of, of uh, theatrics and showmanship, you know, for like interesting strategic purposes. And also the idea that like, you know, you thought we were useless and you're protecting us by, you know, leaving us at home. Sorry, suckers. You know, we are going to weaponize ourselves in the way that we can. Yeah. It's not just Spartan women who are fighting spirit. Mm-hmm. And from a poet too. That's awesome. And so uh, we'll move on to... The return of Thor and Loki. Oh, man. Back at it. Thought back we were done. It. My boys, they back at it. We're not done. Yeah, speaking They're of disaster bites, it's the return of Loki. <laughs> the return <laughs> of the original disaster bite. love him. <laughs> so in uh, our Gentafuck the Gods episode, um, I told the story of uh, Loki transforming himself into a mare. Uh, and giving birth to an eight-legged horse. Yep, that happened. You did. It, it, it happened, and you told us about it. Yes, yeah. because Loki gives bad advice, and he is canonically in the Eddas known as the one who gives bad advice. Yes. It's so good. Every time I think about that, I'm like, that's such a sick burn. I know. Such a sick burn on Loki. I know. Not, not even that he doesn't try, but that he tries and fails. <laughs> So, uh, and that story happened in the, we know that story from the Prose Edda in the Poetic Edda, and that story begins, perhaps my favorite poem in the Poetic Edda is called the Thrumskvida, uh, which is named after uh, the giant Thrum. The story begins uh, with Thor just waking up one morning, probably hungover. This Classic. is a theme. Classic. Thor wakes up one morning to find that uh, Mjolnir, his great and mighty hammer, has been stolen <gasps> in no, the night no. when he was sleeping. Unacceptable. <laughs> and so uh, Thor and Loki uh, want to find out what's the what the hell is going on. Fair. So they hell, so to speak. <laughs> uh, Thor and Loki go to the goddess Freya, long-suffering Freya, and ask her to loan him uh, to loan them her magical feather cloak. So they can fly across the realms and find Mjolnir. Mm-hmm. Freya says, yeah, okay. Just leave I'll, Freya yeah. alone. Let her take a <laughs> <No>. nap. <laughs> Freya just needs to like hang out with a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'll do you this favor. Okay. Um, it's not like you're asking for my hand in marriage to some other guy again. Oh, thank God. For once. <laughs> for once, that story doesn't start with that. It doesn't start with that. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Poor Freya. So Loki puts on Freya's magical feather cloak and flies across the realms and arrives in Thor. (laughs) (laughs) Just like under his armpits. No, actually, uh, that I think happens later. Okay, good. Uh, This time uh, Loki goes alone in his feather cloak, which I'm sure Tom Hiddleston would rock. I know. Man, would he? Give Tom Hiddleston a cloak. Give him a feather cloak. Give him a disaster by rainbow feathered cloak. Amazing. Um, and so he puts on the cloak and flies to Jotunheim, the, the realm of the giants. Mm. And that's where he finds the titular giant Thrum. He asks, well, Thrum asks, what the hell are you doing here? Loki says, we're trying to find this hammer. hammer. Do you have you seen it? <laughs> and uh, Thrum says, I saw the hammer. 
Whoa. I did the thing. Plot twist. <laughs> I've seen it because I have it. It's right here. Yeah. Thor I saw it just... last night when I stole it. Uh-huh. Yeah, Thor was just, he was just knocked out sleeping. Came into your realm, stole the hammer. Won't give it back. Again, the lesson, never sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that is becoming a theme. And Thrum refuses to return the hammer until he is given Freya's hand in marriage. Oh God damn it, leave Freya alone. Leave Freya alone. This is like the anti-dowry. So being given stuff when you agree to marry a person, you steal it in order to, to coerce them to marry you. Yep. Leave Freya alone 2018. Mm-hmm. Hand raise emoji. Okay. Couldn't agree more. So uh, Loki flies back to Asgard, joins up with Thor, and they go and plead their case to Freya. Will you marry this guy so Thor can get his hammer back? No. I'm sorry. Let's revisit the premise. <laughs> <laughs> and Freya, bless her. Uh, goes into a rage so mighty that the yes. hall shakes oh. and says, fuck no, no, I am not going to marry this random giant because right. you had a huge hangover and couldn't keep hold of your hammer. Uh, that sounds like I, mean, I thought you were going to say like, you know, she just acquiesced and I was going to be like, fair enough, you know, like <laughs> she seems like so put upon that I wouldn't blame her for just being kind of defeated. But this is a much uh, more badass oh, yeah. outcome. Yeah, it's one of my favorite lines in the poem is that her rage is so great that she shakes the hall. Love it. I love her so much. Plan A didn't work because Freya is her own goddess. Mm -hmm. And so the gods all meet and discuss because Thor needs his hammer back uh, in defense of Asgard so the giants don't get in. And uh, gods don't really know what to do. Luckily, Loki is not the one who comes up with the plan this time. It's actually a kind of decent plan. Uh, and that's because Heimdall figured it out. Yeah, that's usually how it rolls, huh? Yeah, Heimdall, the smart one. But the thing is, the plan is, let's put Thor in a frock. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's tart Thor up as Freya, <laughs> send him to Thrum, and uh, figure it out from there. Just rouge his cheeks a little bit. Yeah. Be fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I really want to want to zoom in on the go from there part though. <laughs> like, what and when exactly is this going to be we'll revealed? See what happens? It'll probably be fine. One of the really fun things about working with these ancient texts is that you know it, it's a lot of plot and a, not so much character. Yeah. So you kind of have to imagine everyone's reactions to. Basically everything. Like, let's put Thor in a frock. There's a it, there's a longer, rather beautiful passage about all the things that they will put on Thor to make him look like Freya. Sure. Um, jewelry and gowns and all that sort of thing. It's rather lovely. Unfortunately, Thor refuses. Come on, Thor. He specifically refuses because uh, there's a line. Uh, it's the uh, Andy Orchard translation. Thor says, "The gods will call me a cockraver." And that's why he doesn't want to put on a frock. Oh, you know what, Thor? Thor. You know what, yeah. Thor? Masculinity. Chris Hemsworth would be down for this. Yeah. I was going to say, you would look great. Great thighs. Come yeah. on. Edda, Edda Thor is kind of a dick. I much prefer the Chris Hemsworth version. The, the yeah. puppy dog one. Yeah. I got you. Good dude. Oh, so good. Yeah, so pure. Masculinity is so fragile in ancient texts. Mm-hmm. Still is, unfortunately. Marvel Thor does not care. Marvel Thor wanted to be a Valkyrie. Oh, yeah. Just saying. Yes, amazing. Enjoys braiding his hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, enjoys dressing up. Oh, so good. So much product in that hair. It's so beautiful. So Thor refuses uh, in a very dickish manner. And Loki tells him to put up and shut up because we're going to do this thing. Damn right. We're going to get your damn hammer back mm-hmm. so the walls don't fall to the giants. Mm-hmm. So uh, Thor dresses up as Freya and Loki dresses up as Freya's handmaiden. There we go. Because Thor... 
cannot be trusted to make this work on Correct. his own. Freya's like, I'll go. No, Loki. Loki will go. Yeah. So Loki also is up in, you know, also gets himself up in a dress. Loki's like, I'm cool with this. Let's yeah. go. <laughs> and again, you know, we, we should see this in the Marvel Cinematic Universe because I am quite sure that both Chris Hemsworth and Tom Middleston have been in a dress before and mm. would be willing to do this. Oh, yeah. I, I want them to do the get help from yeah. Thor Ragnarok, yep. but this. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they could, they could do it for it. charity. They could just film yeah, like a short yeah. for charity. They did that one short where it was like, where's uh, where's Thor in this Avengers oh, right. movie or yeah, whatever. Yeah. In Australia yeah, yeah, with his flatmate, Daryl. Yeah. <laughs> so Thor and Loki in dresses, they go back to Jotunheim uh, and uh, meet up with Thrum who doesn't suspect anything, celebrates by throwing a wedding feast for Thoria. his for his wedding to uh, Thorfreya. Thoria. At least they got a feast out of it. Thoria. Mm-hmm. Thoria. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, wedding feast. Um, at the wedding feast, Thor, again, in a dress, made up, whatever, imagine. Rosy cheeks. Yeah, just let your imagination run wild. Thor proceeds to basically eat most of the feast. Yep. Uh, in the text, he eats a whole ox, Ate salmon, all of the delicacies available, which basically means he stuffs his face gotcha. with sweets. <laughs> and uh, three, he washes that down with three entire barrels of mead. I imagine the wedding guests just looking at each other like, well, we can't really call out the bride, I guess. So. And you know, she, she's, she's, she's a, my wedding. Yeah. <laughs> she's a goddess, so she's got appetites, but also True. this does seem a little bit unusual. Yeah. A little excessive, but we're yeah. not going to judge. So Thrum kind of makes it, eh? noise essentially and uh loki reassures him that uh thor freya thoria had not eaten or drunk for the previous eight days and nights because uh he was so excited to come to jotunheim to marry thor yeah because when i'm excited i don't eat or drink ever and <laughs> like, then I get that binge people... on yeah, like yeah. an ox and a lot of salmon and mead yikes freyor that's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, just, I'm really into this. <laughs> I like Freyor. It's a good portmanteau. Uh, so next, uh, Thrum sneaks a peek under Freyor's nope. veil. Okay, I thought you were going to say dress. That's better. Veil. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. There's a veil at least. Yeah, sneaks a peek under his veil and sees his glaring eyes and kind of goes, oh my God, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> Wait, so was, was he eating under the veil? Was there like a tent? <laughs> like like a car wash Amazing. of food? Oh God, yeah. Under the veil the ox just slowly disappearing. Can we, really, I want a charity short of this. I mean, you can even, yeah. you can reuse a, a Renfair set with the turkey yeah. legs and the whatever. We know that Hemsworth loves to eat. Also, listen, we got friends at Marvel. We could do this. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't translate as well to audio. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, the the foley would be a production unpleasant foley. at best. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Thrum peeks under Thoria's veil, freaks out a little bit because oh god, red and glaring and very angry at me. Uh, Loki reassures the giant that no, it's just because Thor had not slept for the previous eight days and nights Aww. because, again, so excited to go to Jotunheim to hey. marry this strange giant. Hey, again, don't sleep. <laughs> Not sleeping solves all of our problems. You know, say what you will about Loki. He knows how to sell a lie. Yeah. I He's not good that. at planning, but he can kind of figure it out on his feet. Disaster by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so sort of in the middle of all of this, uh, Thrum's sister, also a giant, uh, comes up and just asks for a bridal gift of, I believe, uh, rings for arms and fingers, sort of as a marker of this new sisterhood. Sure. Oh. Of uh, Freya marrying into the family. Oh boy. 
Finally, uh, Thrum brings the hammer, brings Mjolnir to Thoria. Freyor. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Brings Mjolnir to him and lays it in his lap, creasing, obviously, this the fabric of this beautiful gown that he is wearing. Ugh. Uh, and, and that's it. That's all she wrote. Thor rips himself out of the dress, grabs up the hammer, and proceeds to fuck up all the giants. Yep. Oh, boy. He fucks up Thrum first, obviously, mm-hmm. for the indignity of putting him through all of this, even though it was Thor's fault in the first place. Yep. Unfortunately, the Edda makes specific mention of Thor then fucking up Thrum's sister Mm -hmm. for daring to ask for a gift to mark this new sisterly relationship. Oh, boo. Thor. Because Thor's a dick. And then, you know, he fucks up all the other giants, but specifically the sister, that's personal. That's unwarranted. You know, I and Loki I, just chill and watch. Yeah, this. basically, fucking Loki. Oh, Loki! I I do really enjoy the construction though of like what big eyes you have, what big teeth you exactly, have. Exactly. You know, yeah, I, I I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, that that's the story of uh, Thor and Loki in dresses. And you know, I really would love to see a twenty first century adaptation of this. Completely Let modernized. Chris Hemsworth eat an ox. <laughs> Yes. While we pitch that to Marvel. Yeah. Man, I think I need a refill. Oh, man. So much talk of feasting. I want to go find some meat of my own. Amanda, I know how much you like sexy, sexy, half animal, half human hybrids. <laughs> uh, that's a stretch. Why do you ask? Uh, there is a new TV series on Freeform called Siren. Ooh. Uh, I mean, sirens are hot, man. I, I do. Hot. I do admit to that. Uh, so it is about a powerful and alluring mermaid, Rin, who mysteriously comes to shore in a small town called Bristol Cove. But she is no little mermaid. This is no Disney movie, Amanda. The first episode, she straight up throws a man through a windshield to defend herself. That sounds very Winona Earp of her. I know. I'm into it. Uh, and now in this upcoming season, more mermaids have arrived. So even hotter mermaids. Uh, is it for refuge or revenge? What are they looking for? I personally can't wait for the show's return on Freeform because it is unpredictable. It is action-packed. And if you haven't seen it on TV before, you're going to want to check it out. It is a unique approach to the mermaid myth. And you know we love mermaids. We did a whole episode on mermaids. You know we love them. Uh, Siren returns on Thursday, January 24th at 8 p.m. on Freeform. And don't miss it. Yeah, you can get the Freeform app on Roku. You can stream it online. So check it out. I am going to be tuning into the second series because Sexy Mermaid sounds like a really good night. Everyone loves a sexy fish. Well, Julia, speaking of sexy fish, this is actually a true (laughs) segue. Uh, We are also sponsored this week by Skillshare, where you can learn truly anything, including this week I took a course called Flex Your Creativity with Drawing and Doodles. I did not know about the sexy fish when I took this course, but I wish I did. And maybe I'll use my newfound skills to do some doodling. It was never a hobby that I had, like a you know thing that I did in class when taking notes or anything. But I have been trying to exercise my creativity in new ways this year because I do creative stuff for my job. But I also want to make sure that I am like doing some creative stuff that's just for fun. So never having been into drawing, I thought, well, why not give it a shot? And this course is awesome. It really made me feel like less self-conscious about drawing something good and more like drawing for imagination. So you can check out Flex Your Creativity with Drawing and Doodles on Skillshare, which is an online learning community for creators. They have over 25,000 classes on things that will fuel your curiosity, your creativity, and your career. 
So go to Skillshare.com slash Spirits2. This is a new URL, people. Skillshare.com slash Spirits2, new URL for a new year. And that will get you two months of Skillshare Premium for free. Yeah, you don't have to pay that 99 cents anymore. Now you're getting it for free. That's Skillshare.com slash Spirits2 for a free two-month trial of their premium membership. And it is great. Whether you are drawing sexy fish or learning about SEO and marketing for your day job, Skillshare has something for you. Mobile photography for when you're taking pictures of what you think is a mermaid outside. Totally. You got to make sure you get that framing right when you take photos of your cryptids. Heck yeah. No more blurry photos of cryptids. Take a Skillshare quest. No class. more. Not on our watch. Not on Skillshare's watch. Wow. This ad break really has been a heck of a refill. Let's get back to it. All right. Let's go. So yeah, I would love to see a 21st century completely modern adaptation of the Thrumskvida, uh, specifically with the Marvel Cinematic Universe cast in place. Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Tom Hiddleston as Loki. I guess we'll have to find some person to do Freya. Yeah. Um, actual Freya, not Thoria or Freyor. Yeah. Um, and Eva Longoria. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly because I just kind of want Eva Longoria or, you know, some amazing actress to scream the hole down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gina Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez. She's, oh. I don't know, I feel like she's too pretty to suffer. Like, I don't want to put her through that in her role. Okay. <laughs> but she's badass That's and fair. wonderful. I, I just can imagine all the people trying to propose to her. So mm, that's, yeah. that's where my head's at. Or other half of my favorite almost power couple on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Stephanie Beatrice. Yeah. She would be great. Ooh, yeah, she would. Ooh, this, the amount of anger that I just pictured in my yeah, head there yeah. was so very good. I know. Can throw a knife, can eat a feast. Most of all, for this speculative modern adaptation of the Thrumskvida, I need Idris Elba to reprise his role as Heimdall. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Mostly because I love the idea of Idris Elba, king of Hackney, uh, <laughs> coming up with this brilliant idea to put Chris Hemsworth in a dress. Just and pointing just... at Chris Hemsworth, like, you dress now. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Long veil. basically like a stag do, essentially. Yeah. Just shove him in a dress, put some makeup on, slap yep. a wig on there, mm-hmm. and, you know, send him across the border into Jotunheim. <laughs> Original Thor doesn't even need a wig. Mm, that's only true. after Ragnarok does he need the wig this yeah. is true and so we come to I feel for me personally the canonical story of cross-dressing in mythology and folklore which is the story of Hua Mulan Mulan, Mulan. my yes. favorite not a princess but my favorite Disney princess yes agreed next hard, to Shuri hard next to Shuri listen if she's not a princess I don't want to be one like she is she <laughs> is the the defining member of that category mm-hmm. for sure also completely my gay awakening as a child <laughs> amazing yeah oh yeah I was like oh pretty lady oh better as a man oh also cool lady yes excellent you're just, not wrong there the answer is just yes yeah I feel like that's probably the reverse of how Lee Shang from the Disney film came to realize that he was bi too yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> yeah absolutely 100% true uh I'm so sad that Lee Shang won't be in the Disney live action adaptation most upsetting thing to me in the world you have no idea I just wanted like a hot version of B.D. Wong. Not that B.D. Wong's not attractive, but <laughs> like I just wanted that so bad. Yeah. Uh, but then again, the Disney live action version it ch- is changing and adding a lot. I mean, every version of the Mulan story changes and adds a lot because, uh, as we'll find out, the original text, there's not a lot to it, actually. Okay. I mean, really? Mulan, Mulan's significance, I think, really demands 
an episode dedicated to her alone. Mm -hmm. But very briefly, uh, for the purposes of this roundup, uh, the ballad of Mulan originally appeared in the 6th century. And uh, unfortunately, we don't actually have that text. We know it existed then. But Mm -hmm. the earliest actual text that we have appeared in uh, anthology from around the 11th or 12th centuries, um, which was explicitly sourced to that 6th century original, which is how we know it existed. Right, right, Mm -hmm. right. The thing is, basically everyone knows the Disney version at the very least. Mm -hmm. The original Ballad of Mulan is a a very short poem. It's only 31 couplets. Really? 62 very short lines. Wow. We could read it in like 10 minutes. Essentially, yeah. So, you know, so many folktales and legends and things, at least uh, the poetic versions, mostly just a plot outline Mm -hmm. with not a lot of space given to dialogue, characterization, anything like that, which is why it's so important to track, um, you know, subsequent evolutions, adaptations, and things like that, uh, which all respond to the culture of their time. Right. And I think that's the best kind of stories, too, are the Mm -hmm. ones that are so simple that you can build off of. Like, as long as the building blocks are there, Mm -hmm. the, like, inspiration that it causes and the versions and the AUs and all that are just, like, the the best kind of storytelling. And that's, like, what folklore is all about, honestly. Yeah, it lets you enrich the character with your own mind Mm -hmm. and relate to them and make assumptions that relate the most to you, which makes it feel so personal. Yeah, for Um, sure. And was that original short poem probably performed orally? Uh... I'm not quite sure, actually, but um, the next time the story of Mulan appears in Chinese literature is during the, well, the next significant time it appears mm-hmm. is during the Ming Dynasty. Um, in- I, will, I will pause for one second to say China has more of an established uh, tradition of written text than most cultures that we talk about on the mm-hmm. show. So it might have started out oral, but it definitely was written down early mm-hmm. on. And yes. then that tradition continued. For sure. Awesome. Uh, so during the Ming Dynasty, uh, Shu Wei wrote a play about Mulan. Um, and that's one of the texts that uh, we get a lot more sort of added on characterization mm-hmm. and plot details and things like that. Which, you know, when you start with just 62 short lines, you have to kind of go up and out from there. You can bulk it up. Yeah. And uh, after that, in the Qing Dynasty, uh, Shu Renhuo uh, wrote the story of Mulan uh, expanded it dramatically and expanded it dramatically in uh, his historical novel, uh, The Sui Tang Romance, which um, I have not personally read uh, in full, but honestly, it's not my favorite, mostly because even though there's a really cool detail of that version of Mulan meeting a fellow woman warrior, mm-hmm. and then they have this epic friendship or, you know, maybe gal pal thing. We don't really know. Just we can really we can we can believe. Just yeah. So good. I want to believe. Yeah. So even though she has this really interesting relationship with another woman warrior, uh she comes to a bad end, a sad and tragic end in Aww. the novel, which, you know, um every adaptation responds to its own historical context and its cultural uh, the needs of its culture. But the nice thing is that we can kind of pick and choose at this late point in history. Yeah, and decide for ourselves which ones are true for us and which ones are the ones that we retell and remember. Sure. Mm-hmm. So uh, going back, though, to the sh- a very short original poem, The Ballad of Mulan. Mulan is Mulan's, uh, the equivalent of her, her given name, her first name, 
uh, in Chinese, the uh, surname comes first. We know her as Hua Mulan um, because I believe that's the surname that Shu Wei gave her um, in his play during the Ming Dynasty. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mulan has been given different surnames depending on the text and depending on the era. And also, ha- the story has been set during different eras depending on the political historical needs sure. of uh, whatever era is telling mm-hmm. the story. Folklore is very like, mutable yeah. yeah and also very political at times especially that kind of stuff certainly yeah where it's like so part of the like country's zeitgeist mm-hmm. so hua caught on partially because uh it rhymes poetically hua means flower mm-hmm. um and in the disney film her name is given as fa mulan uh fa is the cantonese version of the mandarin hua Oh, it's the nice. same character. I didn't know that. Yeah. That's really cool. And uh, Mulan, I believe, means uh, magnolia flower. So flower, specific flower. Flower, magnolia flower. <laughs> it makes sense. It makes way more sense to start with the surname and go to the first name. Yeah. You know, because it immediately establishes what family you are and right, then right. who you are as an individual. Yeah, which especially in, which makes like, sense. Yeah. yeah, culturally that makes a lot more sense yeah. than what we do. So uh, again, in this very short sixty-two line poem. Uh, it's just a sketch, really. It's the bare bones version of what we know in every other uh, more detailed uh, adaptation. Uh, it begins with uh, the order given for conscription of one man from every family mm-hmm. to join the army and fight uh, mm-hmm. China's enemies. And so Mulan looks at her family, sees that her father is very elderly and should not fight, and that her little brother is very little. And also mm. should not fight. Mm. And Mulan, this is something that I really like about the original poem, is that apparently Mulan uh, has already been trained in multiple disciplines of fighting, like martial oh, wow. arts oh, yeah. and sword play and archery and a few other things. So she's already well prepared. Mm. So she basically puts on a suit of men's armor yeah. and uh, goes to war. So we miss out on the best song of the Mulan Disney movie, which is uh, Be a Man, mm-hmm. which is a great, great it is. song. It really my, is. My head just fast forwarded through the whole training and also Very cross-dressing good. montage because that's <laughs> epic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And skipping forward even further, after 12 years of war. Damn. Oh, jeez. 62 lines, man. Very short lines. Dang. Wow. Um, I'm sorry, did you sneeze? No, I said 12 years later. <laughs> <laughs> After 12 years of war, uh, the army, Mulan included, returns um, and the soldiers are rewarded. Uh, Mulan's still in a uh, soldier's outfit, still uh, dressed as and being perceived as a man. Uh, she refuses all honor fix, all uh, material and uh, sort of political honors mm-hmm. that sh- they want to give her. Um, for the army's success and she only asks for just one fast horse to return home as quickly as possible because she oh. misses her family oh. yeah this is a story grounded on filial piety sure. yes right and if her dad was elderly to begin with mm-hmm. like of course she wants to get home right away yes definitely and so she goes home on a fast horse and returns to life uh, dressed as a woman at this point uh she meets up with her old army friends again <laughs> Again, dressed as a woman, they kind of go, what? They have a they have, they have a moment that uh, like a double take, right? Yeah, big old double take, and then <laughs> a really nice thing is that you know they just they just accept her. They're like, oh, that's they're still cool. friends. Yeah, still the person you, I you spent did that thing. Well, yeah. years fighting with exactly. Yeah, they still wow. have that camaraderie. Yeah, that's adorable. 
And so um, there are many, many adaptations of this story, Mm -hmm. Uh, not just the play from the Ming Dynasty and the historical novel from the Qing Dynasty, but um, loads and loads of film and television adaptations, mostly in Chinese, but as we know, uh, Disney Mm -hmm. um, brought it over. That was, oh God, growing up, that was my favorite Disney film for obvious reasons. it's so good. Yeah. And it was the first time, I mean, seeking representation in these products put out by enormous corporate empires. Mm -hmm. I think we can broadly say that representation is good, but also it feels, it sometimes can feel a little weird to want or to need, quote unquote, Mm Uh, acknowledgement from these corporate juggernauts. Right, like why should their opinion or their gaze matter to me? Right, but, but at the does. same time, Mulan is amazing. The Disney yeah. one is amazing. It's and their movie. scope too, like mm-hmm. not not just for, you know, people who feel really seen, but by everybody else who can, you know, have a like Chinese woman dressed as a man, like as their kind of cultural like touchstone or oh, hero. Yeah. And also um, in the Disney film, Mulan's mother looks uncomfortably close to how my mother looks <laughs> which is kind of which was always kind of stressful honestly yeah. <laughs> amazing to see my yeah. family's features yeah in this major film but also a little weird yeah. <laughs> too you close know, to home too close to home you know what strikes me that's the next like um broadway disney movie that i want to see i want to see a like live action mulan that would mm-hmm. be amazing think of how good that would be you got your i want song yeah. You got your makeover song. Yeah. You got your training montage. Yeah. You got like the the plot arc that is war. You got the coming home. Your little like mm-hmm. reprisal is built in. Yeah. Fuck Frozen. This Love. is what I want now. I know. I'll keep Aladdin. Aladdin's good. <laughs> Lion King also good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Give me Mulan. So yeah, loads and loads of adaptations at fairly regular intervals. This is a massively popular story mm-hmm. in China. Going back to the Disney film, you know, it, it embellishes a lot, it invents a whole hell of a lot. I mean, sure. I love Li Shang, but Li Shang is, <laughs> you know, not there. Yeah. He is in the massive, maybe he is in the massive ellipsis of the 12 years of war. <laughs> Fair there enough, is this one maybe. hot guy in the 12 years of war. We'll skip ahead. It's fine. <laughs> Wong wasn't broad shoulders. There. Don't worry about it. Yeah, there's no romance yeah, um, yeah. in the original story. It's all about the filial piety. Yeah, exactly. Not the point. Yeah, I was going to say, which might make it better, mm-hmm. but also mm-hmm. I do like a little bit, of, just a little bit of romance yeah. every once in a while. Mostly because of Li Shang disaster by, bless yeah. him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. good. Such a mess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Trying to be a leader, just so bad at it. But there's one uh, particular thing about the Disney adaptation that I really appreciated is during that massive uh, palace siege moment at the climax of the film, which again, just a lot of invented stuff, really fun. Yeah. But also, where did that come from? Eh, we don't know. There's a bit in which um, Mulan's former rivals within the army, the three, the three dudes, mm-hmm. uh, which like Herbie Firesty and then two other people that yeah, I can't yeah. remember, <laughs> who were the only three who tried to convince Li Shang not to leave Mulan behind when she was revealed mm-hmm. as right. a woman. And again, in the poem, never revealed as a woman. She not until later. Yes, exactly. It was terms. it was her choice to yeah, do it. That's really which is amazing to me. That kind of the point is like yes, like you can sacrifice for your family, do something really daring, come back, and also you know keep the gains that you made for yourself. Like mm-hmm. that that to me is really cool. It's not a choice. It's you know you can improve yourself and your reputation and and better your life by bettering your family's life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's that moment in the battle for the palace where these three guys who have become her friends over the course of the film, uh, they just 
they show up they they round the corner they round the corner of a pillar a pillar is round <laughs> i got you i know what you meant uh they turn up well, in they support. round the, yeah. the the round they corner round it. <laughs> it's very good i like it they show up uh to join mulan in recovering the emperor and they show up uh cross-dressed they show up in chinese opera drag mm-hmm. oh wow which I thought was a really nice nod to the tradition of drag uh, in the history of Chinese opera, Mm -hmm. which, you know, it's not necessarily something that you would know. It's it's mostly framed as a gag, like a friendly gag. But it's, oh, look at these butch men in dresses and sloppy makeup and whatever. But uh, it's it. I felt it was a really nice nod to this cultural tradition that exists kind of parallel to the story of Mulan and other um, major cultural touchstones. Yeah. Hell yeah. And so we've jumped around a little bit. We've gone from Greece to Scandinavia to China. We're going to jump once more to Italy. Woo. Moving forward in time uh, a little bit uh, to tell the story of Fantagiro Persona Bella or Fantagiro the Beautiful. And so uh, some of you, I think all of you, uh, would call yourselves mythology and folklore nerds. But uh, one of the formative texts for me in terms of folklore and mythology growing up was this massive brick of a book called, uh, in English translation, it was called Italian Folk Tales by Italo Calvino. Oh, yep. Um, by Italo Calvino. In the Italian, it's Fiabe Italiane. And so it's a massive tone. I've, I believe, 200 collected folk tales from all the regions of Italy. Wow. And so uh, Calvino did not transcribe these direct from the source. He admits in the book and in his notes that these are collected from folklorists and he notes variations and he notes um, regional differences and things like that, which is pretty great. Yeah. Right. But Fantagiro um, is a blue tale 69. Nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank uh, you for that. <laughs> you, you know your audience <laughs> of the show. I appreciate that. Uh, tale 69 in the collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Well, it begins as most stories begin, I think, with the king and his three daughters. There yep. it is. Checks out. There it Do is, it baby. And so this king has three daughters. The eldest is Carolina. The middle is Asuntina. And Fantagiro is the youngest and the most beautiful. Of course. Ooh. The king Poor has three. oldest daughter. <laughs> but she's like, I fucking suffered for this. You know what? And like, that's that's always the case where it's like the oldest yeah. daughter has to get married first. The youngest one can't get married first. But even though she's the prettiest. Yeah. It's always dumb. I, I know. It. I know. It's my, my least favorite fairy tale folklore thing. <laughs> Lear would have been spared so much suffering. Oh, mm. so much. Yeah. So the king has three daughters. He also has three thrones. This is, you know... This is a unusual little detail. Different days of the week for his different styles of pants. Like, what are we talking about here? The king has three thrones. Uh, one throne is painted sky blue for when his mood is high and bright. <laughs> oh. Oh, buddy, come on. Oh, good. I like this a lot, though. This... Like, what if I walked into work one day and I was dressed in, like, dark, dark gray and black? And it was like, yes, don't talk to Amanda today. And what if I came in sky blue? Like, hi, let's chat. I want to talk about like your mom. And I want to talk about your ideas. Yeah. That would be great. Genuinely. <laughs> I would like it. Mm-hmm. You can do that. No one is stopping you. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then I have to explain it to everybody. All right. And so the second throne is painted black for death because that's normal. Does that happen <laughs> enough that you need to use that throne a lot? Because I, I would be concerned, as you as a ruler. When you have to like build case. infrastructure around how often oh, death comes up in your no. court, you may want to look at your life and your choices. 
and just just reassess. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But perhaps worst of all, if we can say if there's something worse than death, Uh-oh. is a third throne uh, painted red for war. Oh, I mean, there it is. That just it comes with the territory, yeah. I guess. Then you just swap in between yeah, the chairs. Yeah, it feels like musical chairs, right? Yeah. I know. God, I feel like I feel like you were you just really... like you look at that blue one and you're like, oh man, I wish, but nope, got to do other black or red today. Ugh, boo. And so uh, one morning, uh, the three sisters, Carolina, Asundina, and Fantagiro, come to the throne room to greet the father, and find that oh goodness. He's sitting on the red throne. He's sitting on the throne of war. Uh oh. They ask him, "What's going on? <laughs> What's happening?" Hey, Dad, what up? Is that Dad? <laughs> I see Please you're not explain. In the blue chair. <laughs> would you Would you like to go sit in the blue chair instead? No, no. no. Oh, maybe, oh. maybe. Oh no. Maybe a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> just, have you Have you had your uh, cappuccino yet today? Maybe you want the blue chair instead. <laughs> the king tells his daughters he is sitting on the throne of war because the neighboring kingdom has uh, declared war on their kingdom. Oh, God damn it. Uh-oh. And he needs, he doesn't have, but needs a general to go out and fight. One of the daughters, one of the daughters. Exactly, yeah. Yes! <laughs> so Carolina, the eldest daughter, volunteers first. The king says, okay, I guess, but you're going to have to take uh, the squire Tonino with you, and Tonino is going to make sure that you behave like a man and don't you know, drop your disguise just in case you get killed. You know, it's that we don't want that. Sure. So uh, we're going to have Tonino you know, basically knock on you if you slip up. Gender I, police I am the TM, TM. emoji right now. <laughs> yeah, gender police TMTM. Basically, yeah. So uh, Carolina dresses as a man, mounts her horse, takes Tonino with her, and they get part of the way to the neighboring kingdom. Oh. But they come across a cane field. And Carolina looks at the cane field and, you know, kind of understandably says, actually, I could use those canes to make distaffs for spinning. That would be really productive and practical and useful. Donino says, eh, you Gender slipped police. up. Yep. <laughs> oh, nope. no. Men don't spin. That's a woman's thing. So Donino brings Carolina back. Next, Asuntina, the middle sister, steps up. Sure. Same warnings, you know. Mm-hmm. Tonina's going to knock on you if you decide. Eh. <laughs> Gender police is coming with you again. Yep. And so they pass the cane field. Asuntina says nothing. Later on, they pass a vineyard, and Asuntina sees a pile of vine stakes. And again, honestly, she's being very practical, like her older sister. Yeah. And she says, "Hey, I could use all those vine stakes to make spindles. The kingdom needs cloth." You know, the people need clothes. Yeah. See, I would have been like, I can make so much wine. <laughs> I know, but they're making like actual concrete contributions I to know. their nation in a time of need. No, mm-hmm. this is like... Sorry, the, gender police. This is like the letters between John Adams and Abigail Adams in 1776, where he's like, you need to make saltpeter. She's like, I just want needles, dude. I want to like sew uniforms for our fucking people. And you're trying to make me do like fucking science and shit to make saltpeter. What the fuck, dude? Also, come home. Come the fuck home. No one needs you there. Thomas Jefferson wrote the whole thing himself. Anyway, Abigail Adams gets a rough, like the short end of the stick. Her and Freya would be BFFs. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they would. And Hera. But I do feel it's interesting that... um, I mean, throughout these stories of cross-dressing, certainly um, in the story of Achilles on Skiros, um, Achilles gives away his gender, his sex, uh, by picking up 
the wrong or the right yeah. object. So right. Silly. Um, it's it's kind of a way to essentialize gender mm. in a thing, a literal thing. Yeah. External to you. Yeah. Uh, with all these cultural uh, signifiers attached anyway right or to imply that like you know you can try to behave as you will but like a like a compass pulled toward north like mm-hmm. there's something kind of you know inbuilt that will betray you yeah um which is kind of fucked up but also shows us that like gender is a construct and it's mm-hmm. a series of oh, definitely. behaviors Such and a construct know. i don't know i kind of want to read what judith butler would have thought of this but also I mean, bless Judith Butler, but I always found her unreadable. I basically had to have my professor translate and give a press scene before I understood her at all. Damn. Yeah. Important, but also really jargony. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, that's, a, I think, one example where, like, uh, popular culture and discourse has uh, done a pretty good reading of what it needs to be. And, mm-hmm. like, you have a pretty good understanding of Judith Butler. If you know what her name is, you don't have to dig into the source text. Yep. Yeah, that helps. So anyway, Tonino knocks on Asuntina, brings her back to court. <sighs> Fucking narc. And so we have, <laughs> it's all up to Fantagiro, the youngest sister. Come on, youngest daughter. So she mounts up on the horse, dressed in armor. She probably looks like Zendaya at the... Uh, oh, yeah. The, oh, oh, the my God, I love it so much. <laughs> oh, the Met Gala. Sorry, I have a lot of opinions about that, and mostly that I want to wear that dress to my wedding. Oh, definitely, yeah. Oh, man. So Fantagiro... Tonino at her side uh, passes the cane field doesn't say anything passes the vineyard doesn't say anything and then so they cross the border successfully into the neighboring kingdom Hell. pass those you know weird hard challenges yeah. for women mm-hmm. <laughs> about practicality yep and so once they've uh, arrived in the neighboring kingdom yeah Fantigaro in disguise asks for an audience with the neighboring the enemy king mm-hmm. When the king sees her, he thinks, okay, but also, is she a lady? <laughs> <laughs> Not where my head would go, but all right. <laughs> Fair enough, dude. And so the king, the, the enemy king, goes to his mother and asks, I think, I think, dude looks like a lady. So uh, how can I make sure? that's a song sorry <laughs> i know but i don't think we've got licensing rights it's only it was less than like 10 seconds of good fair use that's, that's, yeah. that's, that's not real okay we're fine it's all good. It's all good. the enemy king's mother decides to put fantagiro to a series of tests uh the first test uh will remind us of uh the test that odysseus put to achilles mm-hmm. actually the, the first opposite. test yes <laughs> the enemy king brings fantagiro to his armory and leads her through and watches how she interacts with everything on the shelves and walls all the weapons and shields and things it's like a freaking early childhood psychology test where you put a toddler in front of objects and like you have to see how they interact with the world because they can't talk to you you want truck or barbie doll it doesn't matter what there's the only two choices wants. only one of them is right oh no <sighs> gender's so dumb so binary i hate it anyway and so fantagiro walks through the armory and displays his skills essentially uh, she shows that she knows how to handle a sword, daggers. Uh, she knows how to carry a shield. She knows how to string and knock a bow. Mm-hmm. It's almost like expertise is engendered. Mm, maybe. <laughs> and so she's passed the test. The king still thinks, eh, maybe a lady. And so goes back to his mum. 
and his mother tells <laughs> I feel like him this is a him problem where he's yeah, like I, know. <laughs> I find this man very attractive she must be a lady i'm sorry that your masculinity is so yeah let's fragile. step back four steps and start questioning these frameworks yes yeah maybe this enemy king is also a disaster by i don't know like, come on dude. i know I start know. a war attracted to possibly a man we don't know <laughs> and i'm just like judging all of the men in yeah this. they sorry. deserve it they really yeah. deserve it and so uh, the enemy king's mother puts Fantagiro to a second test, which is she has him lead her through a garden. And if so she smells a flower. She must be a lady. <laughs> a specific flower, <laughs> oh, though. Oh, no. Uh-oh. The thing is, if Fantagiro plucks a rose or a violet and pins it to her bosom, that means she is a woman. As opposed to what other, fl- what, what's the masculine flower in this situation? I need to know. A jasmine? But Why? they smell so nice. They do. They're my favorite. I know. They're so good. And we all know that good smells are gay. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Specifically, uh, Fantagiro passes the test by plucking a jasmine flower and putting it behind her ear. I would do the same thing. Uh, maybe it's like a, like a chivalry situation, like know. courting rule. I don't know. Anyway. Stop. Passes the test. The king is still not satisfied. Get over your sexual confusion and just embrace it. Deal with it, man. She's too cute. So, goes back to his mum again. Uh, Third test is the test of... This is also the most Italian story ever. (laughs) I don't know what to do. Honey, take her through a garden and see what she does. (laughs) Yeah, literally, in the Calvino story, the king goes to his mother crying, Mama, Mama, help me. This is the most Italian man thing ever. (laughs) Fuck. I have a lot of feelings about this right now. So the third test is the test of the bread. And so... Can she make it? Can she eat it? How does she do it? How does it? she eat it, I think, is how does she break the bread? That's how, what I'm guessing. Yes. Oh. How does she cut the bread? Okay. So if she holds the bread against her chest and cuts it, that means she's a lady? What? Sounds but, pretty dangerous, but okay. Yeah, right? Because tits, right. Yeah. generally speaking. Knives. Yeah. yeah. You don't know. Are they ripping it apart or like cutting it with a Specifically knife? cutting. What's the well, masculine who would, who way? Who would do that? Okay, sorry. I'm just. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we, we don't know what this enemy neighboring kingdom situation is. Weird. True. They've got weird etiquette. I don't know the whole flower thing. So Fantagiro passes the test by holding the loaf of bread in front of her and cutting it in the air. I mean, the chest thing makes sense because you want to have some kind of resistance, right? Right. But and you like, just sort of freehand. Is my bosom a plate? What's happening? I don't here? know. I mean, it is if you try hard enough. <laughs> it is if you imagine. I don't. I don't have plate-like bosoms, <laughs> so I, I can't really comprehend that. But mm-hmm. I understand that some people do. I and mean, that's on them. You just whop a corset over top of it, and then you've got a good cutting surface. Yeah, I, guess. I mean, corsets make everything like it's it's just like a plate, yeah. in which I could use my. <laughs> I have a shelf now. Yes. <laughs> And so, and you know, I feel like you don't get even slices if you cut in the air. Is you're just sort of there's hacking. too much here. There's too Hacked. much. We I'm have just to thinking let it go. about cutting a bagel in the air. Yeah, which no. like I guess makes sense in the air. I mean, I mean if that's I, what I do instead of like up against my breast. Yeah, but I also use, I don't I'd know, be worried about a you know. Board. Once I'm done cutting the thing, just accidentally stabbing Fall. myself with someone else. You're like, well, I'm dead now. Or the <laughs> half of the bread that you aren't holding falls. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, you, <laughs> you only have two hands. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Falls onto, I don't know. I don't fucking know. Unless your mom is there holding it. This is a terrible test. <laughs> Fuck the mom that but came anyway, up with this. But she passed. <laughs> she did. She passed. She did. Yeah. She cut the bread away from her. <laughs> Clearly. 
Um, and so uh, the enemy king goes back to his mum for the fourth time and mom, says, mom. I, I really I really think she's a lady and I still have some trouble with this idea. Yikes. And I'm so, having some troubling dreams and I'm not sure what to do. <laughs> oh, no. And so the mother says, you know what? I figured it out. This is what's going to solve it for good. And so the mother tells the king to uh, invite Fantagaro, this mysterious stranger, to go swimming with him. Well, yeah, that will fucking solve it. You could have started there, my Should've dude. Should have started with the nakedness. God, bro to bro, let's go to a naked swimming hole. Because, you know, we're living in an age of gender binary and, God. you know, gender essentialism with the right. body. Blah, blah, Biology blah. equals gender yeah. all the time. Well, I'm like, I'm like shocked at how angry this story makes Oh, no, <laughs> Julia. <laughs> Sorry. It ends really well, right, I promise. Good. And so uh, the king invites Fontagero to go swimming. And of course, she'll have to disrobe. And if she refuses to disrobe, then he knows she's finally a lady. Yeah. And therefore, his Julia, Julia's face is so skeptical. Like, I, I'm with you. I'm with you there. Right, whatever, dude. And so Fontagero, you know, she, she gets it. She knows why she's been asked to go just go jump in a pond or whatever. Old friendly like with this guy she's basically just met. We're totally just also like is just trying to wage war on her yeah. country. Sure, let's go for a swim, dude. There's just a two lot dudes to unpack here. Being bros in a pond, naked. Why not? Yeah, just like friends do. And so, and this is where Tonino, the squire, the snitch, the narc, redeems himself. <laughs> you better, which is kind of nice in a way. Even though I would totally support Carolina and Asuntina beating him up once he comes back That's to the fine. to the kingdom, but still, w- one right does not make up for the wrongs. No. Uh, so Fantagiro writes a letter. She forges a letter and uh, seals it with the royal seal of her own home kingdom. Okay. I'm glad Gives that it... crimes are also on her list of uh, skills. <laughs> Be, Be queer, queer, do, do crimes. crimes. There oh, we yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> Catchphrase. And so she's mocked up this letter, ostensibly from her father's court, and gives it to Nino. So Fantagiro and the enemy king are, you know, they're going down to the pond, about to disrobe, jump in, get really friendly, I guess. And then Tonino comes bursting into the clearing. Uh, Fantagiro, Fantagiro, or whatever her false name is at the time. Right. <laughs> and gives her this letter. And obviously it's got the royal seal. Something, Something's going on back home. Right. She breaks it open, reads it aloud, and tells the enemy king that her father is very ill. Oh, no. She Uh-oh. needs to go home immediately. Sorry, I can't swim with you, but he's dying and he's my dad. So That's things are more important. Yeah. yeah. So... Uh, I guess she basically leaves him in the pond going, what the fuck? <laughs> also, let's talk about how this is almost directly from Disney's Mulan, too. A little bit, yeah. 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 There's a, a lot bit. of crossover yeah, here. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, Fantagiro, before she leaves Enemy Kingdom, uh, kind of like Odysseus and uh, the Cyclops, she can't resist but reveal herself when she's safe. And she writes a note saying, ha ha, well, essentially, ha ha, I was a lady all along, I fooled you. Ha ha, suck it. And so uh, she goes home with Tonino, with everything. Cool. Um, and so the enemy king finds this note, says, I knew it. Also, I'm in love with her. Yep. Him, her, him, her, mm. her. Okay, we'll go. Whatever, and uh, packs his bags and goes to his enemy kingdom, our original kingdom. Right. Fantagiro's kingdom and says, so... um." I'm in love with your general, who is a lady, and I want to marry her and make peace between our kingdoms. All right. Well, that's, that's that. Mm, very that's a strategy. Italian. Yeah. <laughs> very Italian. <laughs> and so, um, technically, that's a happy ending. 
I wow. mean, yeah, as long as she was also in love with him later and was like, yeah, I'll marry him. It's fine. It's I mean, cool. there are worse political marriages. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So that's I, the story of Fanta Giroir. I kind of dig it. I kind of dig it. Um, and uh, funnily enough, during the 1990s, there was a five film series. I believe these aired on television, an Italian television film series, uh, very loosely based on this story. All right. Uh, Fantiquero or La Grotta della Rosa dell'Oro, the the cavern of the Golden Rose. Cool. Um, I have only seen very badly dubbed and subtitled clips on YouTube. Wonderful. And I would love to try and find a I'm good copy. Try to find yeah. it. Yeah. So this, you know, they made these films during the big 1990s uh, high fantasy boom. Right. In films. So it's sort of that similar aesthetic to things like, uh, I guess, Legend and Willow and Lady Hawk and stuff like that. Nice. So it's you know what I've seen dubbed in like check or whatever has been pretty fun <laughs> that was good some sexually charged swimming scenes <laughs> oh, i love it i, I, love I mean it. i don't know it might may, or may not be in there but uh only the first film is based on the broad plot structure of the folktale oh boy that's the a other lot of room films, for things to go yeah very many wrong. ways yeah the yeah. other the other four films in the series just kind of go every which way they're like witches and dragons and all kinds of creatures and whatnot why not why not why not yeah indeed but yeah, so again, you know, that is a story that exists in various adaptations in popular culture. Yeah. Not as, not as, um, I guess, universal as Mulan is in China, but still culturally significant. Sure. In yeah. that it has a cheesy five film television series adaptation. That's all you can ask for. Also good for the, the king, for being the original king, the dad king, for being like, hey, these are the kids I have. I need a general. Girls, you've been trained in all the things you have to do. Like, go forth. Essentially, yeah. Yeah. There are lots of stories across cultures that kind of follow this broad strokes of there's some kind of martial need. You know, there's a war on, essentially. Mm. Um, I mean, Achilles certainly is kind of the reverse example of this. Mm. Uh, There are a lot more examples, I feel, of women having to dress up as men to go to war instead of a man dressing up as a woman to avoid war, Mm. which is pretty unusual as these things go. But, you know, there's... a Specifically related to Fante Giraud, there's a French variant called, uh, and forgive me, francophones, called Belle Belle ou le Chevalier Fortuné by Madame Delnois, cool. uh, a very well-known uh, literary uh, folklorist um, who actually gave the name fairy tale Conte de Fées oh, to the genre. Cool. Madame Delnois. Thank you, madame. And so... The story of Belle Belle is a little more Twelfth Night-esque. There's a subplot of the um, the foreign queen also falling in love with Belle Belle in disguise. And, I'm here for yeah, it. Yeah, it's a little bit Violet, um, uh, Viola, and Cesario, and yeah. Olivia, right. and all of that. There's a Russian variation uh, called Vasilisa, the priest's daughter, which is in a collection uh, by the folklorist Alexander Afanasyev. Other Italian versions include uh, Straparola's Costanza Costanto, and uh, Basile's uh, Le Tre Corona, or The Three Crowns. I love it. I, I love, love it so much. Stories. It's a it's a story worth repeating. This yeah. is awesome and much better than King Lear. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. <laughs> women cross-dressing as men is kind of a really nice subgenre of uh, women kicking ass, literally or metaphorically, mm-hmm. um, and succeeding. Which, yeah. I mean, there's so many stories of women with tragic ends that it's nice to have this... Uh, thread across uh, countries and cultures mm-hmm. cultures in which they succeed. Yeah, most of the Disguised stories... as men, but also it's still pretty great. Yeah, most of the stories, super positive endings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and it's a, an opportunity in a way to like 
transgress social boundaries that are kind of bullshit, you know, and in in a way to be like, hey, isn't it weird that you have to go through these like, you know, strange hoops to like occupy space in a military campaign or in, you know, a court kind of diplomatic relations or to to make friends with men. Um, So I I think it's very cool. I imagine it as, you know, if I were kind of living in these cultures contemporaneously, it would have been like my favorite stories of all time. Mm. I would have like dressed up as these characters, Mm. you know, and um, and it's, it's really just like a very cool sense of like transgression and freedom. We do have actual historical echoes of this, not just Telesilla in Argos, but uh, there are a lot of women who dressed as men during the American Civil War. Yep. Yes. And, you know, we don't know if these particular women uh, were trans who actually identified as men, uh, but they still did this thing and they largely succeeded. Yeah, and Hell there's yeah. a great episode of uh, the podcast Sawbones about medical history about Dr. James Barry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who was uh, either, again, like we're not sure, either the first trans man or the first woman, um, you know, living, uh, presenting as a man in order to be able to get access to uh, medical training, but mm-hmm. graduated medical school and like served a role in the British Army and traveled all around, met yeah. Florence Nightingale and like dressed her down for not wearing enough sun protection. Mm-hmm. Like just an incredible person. Yeah, mm-hmm. I will link to that episode because it's a really good episode. But yeah, it's uh, this is just like the the best part of history and the best part of culture and of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you so much, Andrea, for bringing of course, these, these stories to us. It's entirely my pleasure. Uh, do you want to link to your stuff again? So I am a book publicist, a writer, and an actor in training. And you can find me on Twitter at at Andrea A N D R E A N as in Nicole, my middle name Lamb L A M. And there, mostly, I'm just a massive nerd about mythology and folklore and history. AKA, a great follow. Why wouldn't you follow? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And remember, listeners, stay creepy, stay cool. Thanks again to our sponsors this week. Siren is a TV series about mermaids, but not the way you know them. It comes back on January 24th on Freeform. And thank you to Skillshare. Skillshare.com slash spirits2 will get you two free months of premium membership. Spirits was created by Amanda McLaughlin, Julia Shafini, and Eric Schneider, with music by Kevin McLeod and visual design by Allison Wakeman. Keep up with all things creepy and cool by following us at Spirits Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Tumblr. We also have all of our episode transcripts, guest appearances, and merch on our website, as well as a form to send us your urban legends at spiritspodcast.com. Join our member community on Patreon, patreon.com slash spiritspodcast for all kinds of behind the scenes stuff. Just $1 gets you access to audio extras with so much more available too. Recipe cards, director's commentaries, exclusive merch, and real physical gifts. We are a founding member of Multitude, a collective of independent audio professionals. If you like spirits, you will love the other shows that live on our website at multitude.productions. And above all else, if you liked what you heard today, please share us with your friends. That is the very best way to help us keep on growing. Thank you so much for listening. Till next time.